Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 559. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is a big fine and a big dandy. Yes. Show 559 is coming up. Uh, before that, though, I'd just like to mention Patreon. We have dropped down. We are now on 430. We have had a few say goodbye to the Starship Solar and, and wander around the the universe by themselves, which is, is fine and dandy as well. But if you want to come over and support the good Starship Solar and Tales Terrify, that would be fantastic. Patreon is the place to go. So we'll jump straight in to the main fiction. And it is, and <laughs> I am known for butchering names, and there's a couple in here that I might just stumble upon and <laughs> mess up. But it is The Sands of Rubla Kali by Donald Jacob. Is it Ulivut? Ulivut. Anyway, this story originally appeared in Christopher. 4 November 2016. Don lives on neither coast of the USA, but mostly in the haunted memory places of his own design. In addition, a previous appearance on Starship Sova, which was 481, and Farfetch Fables 176. His short story fiction has appeared in numerous print and online venues, such as Christopher Magazine. The anthology Fearful Fathoms. <laughs> yes. Donald strives to write what he calls haiku fiction, stories that are small in scale and big in impact. If you enjoyed In the Sands of Rubla Kali, let him know. And there's two links to his website, Donald's, and his Twitter handle as well. So do pop over and say hello. Now, this story is narrated by Diana Chances. Diana is a voiceover artist and actress who has performed professionally for 14 years. She has voiced various commercial industries and characters and specialises in a sexy voice of female powerful roles. An avid fan of science fiction, her grandfather gave her a copy of Heinlein's Tunnel in the Sky when she was nine. Oh, fantastic, man. And she feels greatly privileged to help bring this story to life. While pursuing a voice talent 
and Acton career. Diana Ha is also consults in geographical information systems and develops custom mapping applications for real estate and other industries. Her background in IT management does not prevent her from owning multiple old computers, some with Windows 98 still running, man. Go on, Diana. Three-dimensional visualization of special data is a favorite. Oh, I bet you're great to sit down with a, a bottle of beer. A favorite pastime. And she has spent many hours translating real earth elevation data in unique 3D worlds. Oh, sorry, Diana. Diana's voiceover demo can be found and heard at Lambert Studios website, an outstanding full-service recording studio. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present The Sands of Rubla Kali by Donald Jacob Yulivit. Chirite nochi, omakaje ni tatsu, botan kana. Nidra bit the inside of her cheek. The drug they had forced her to drink was wearing off, and the pain helped drive it out faster. She still felt sluggish, but she should be ready when her moment came. The next lot is a female wilding of twenty-odd summers, recently obtained from the capital. Unseen hands pulled the coarse woolen blanket from her. Though two of Rubakali's three sons had set, sweat still beaded up on Nidra's skin. One of the slaver's hired guards goaded her in the back with a class two stunstick. The power pack had corroded solid. Hopefully it was as useless as it looked. She turned so the bidders could see her from every angle. If Kalana was still alive, Nidra was going to kill her. The iron chains connecting her leg shackles clinked as she moved. Note the hair, the color of warm honey, and eyes the blue of a sea after the storm. This slave would make a decorative addition to any estate, or, with the proper training, an exotic bed slave. The slaver grinned, red stains on gapped and cracked teeth. And what a thrill to tame a beautiful wilding! Fifty dinner, one hundred, one twenty. The bids flew around Nidra. As the amount grew larger, the slaver leaned forward, more interested in his profits than in her. He rubbed greasy hands together, as if already counting the coins. Now, before the bidding tapered off, Nidra drove her elbow into the groin of the guard behind her. As he doubled over, she struck him over the head with the chain between her manacles. The crowd grew silent, but did not try to stop her. She dove off the raised auction platform for the table where the slaver's apprentice was settling accounts. She upended the table with a shout. Coins flew into the crowd. Patrons and slaves both scrambled for them. The slaver cursed in three languages and ordered his guards to retrieve his money, even though most of them were busy trying to pocket the coins for themselves. When the less avaricious guards tried to stop their comrades, the chaos developed into a bloody brawl. Nidra stayed low, crawling close to the slave pens. Her luck held. A punch laid out one of the few guards that had stayed at his post. He jangled as he fell to the cobblestones. 
Nidra relieved the man of his keys and money pouch. She freed herself of her bonds, but kept the shackles and chains as the only weapons immediately at her disposal. A horn sounded. Someone had summoned the peacekeepers. She wouldn't be gone before they arrived. She needed to add to the confusion. She tried the keys on the guard's ring until she found the one that unlocked the slave pen. Leave it to her sister to get lost on a world that still kept such abhorrent practices. She yanked the first few slaves out of the pen. Go! You're free! She pressed the keys into the hands of a wide-eyed woman. Unlock the rest of them. She ran from the pens, trying hard not to think whether she had actually done any real good for the slaves. A strange sound brought a stop to that line of thought. A small dog yipped at a large woman lying in the street. A thin gold chain bound the dog to the woman's wrist. Inspiration hit Nidra. She divested the woman of her clothes, fashioning a sort of robe and burnous for herself out of the garments. She took hold of the dog's leash. It growled at her. Come along, Fru-Fru. She turned as hard-soled sandals slapped on stone. Two peacekeepers appeared in their blood-red uniforms. Nidra straightened her posture and walked between them, dragging the dog behind her. If this is how this establishment conducts business, then we shall take our money elsewhere. With her best aristocratic sniff, she walked on. Her heart pounded. She could feel the stares of the peacekeepers. The dog tugged at the leash, trying to return to its true mistress. A scream behind her drew the peacekeepers into the melee. Nidra forced herself to walk with slow dignity out of the market and into the maze of alleys that was the old city. At last, she paused against one of the sandstone buildings. She let go of the dog's leash. It shot her a dirty look and ran away as fast as its underused little legs could take it. All of her suppressed fears and doubts came out in a long laugh. <laughs> Good luck, Fru-Fru. <laughs> she closed her eyes and let the rough sandstone behind her seep into her awareness. She was an escaped slave on a back-eddy planet. She had no idea where on Rubak Ali her sister was, or even if she still was on this world. But for the first time since her shuttle had crashed on this Ekemene forsaken ball of dust, she felt like she could breathe. It wasn't an accident, you know. Nidra's eyes snapped open, tracking the sound of the soft voice. Male, the accent rough but understandable. She pushed her way from the walls, the chains in her hands. Lord Ankabuti has made a lot of money selling young merchant sons back to their families. Even more, selling exotic off-worlders in the Rubakali slave markets. There, a robed and hooded figure stood in the shadows of the left-hand alley. And those not fit to be house or bed slaves, he puts to work in the Fulgentium mines. Nidra lashed out with the chain, but the speaker had correctly judged its length. He chuckled. Oh, you would have been wasted on one of those fat sheiks. A good thing you have another appointment to keep. She ran towards the man and launched the chain at him again. This time, 
he let it wrap around the brown sleeve of his robe. Before Nidra could let go of the other end, he yanked her towards him. Exquisite. The man smelled of musk and wild places. With a blow, he rendered her unconscious. She is back home, on Talup 7, with her sister. They are in the garden, the wonderland of their childhood. Nidra stalks bugs through the ordered wilderness of plants. Kilana sits on the low stone wall that surrounds the garden's pond. What do you have? Kilana holds up a white flower. I want it. Let me have it. She rushes towards her sister. Kalana lifts the flower above her head so it will not be crushed. When Nidra reaches her, she loses her balance. She tumbles into the water and does not resurface. Nidra stares at her drowned sister, the forgotten flower floating between them. If you had only asked, I would have freely given it to you. Nidra weeps. Her tears ripple the surface of the pond, and she can no longer see her sister. An irregular rocking sensation woke Nidra. It took her a moment to leave the world of her dream. That was not how that day had happened. That was the day Nidra had promised that she would never hurt Kalana, that she would always protect her. Grand job she was doing. No, Kalana was still alive and Nidra would find her. Her eyes snapped open. Two of Rubakali's three suns shone in the sky, one just coming above the horizon. Before her stretched rolling dunes of tawny sand. She tried to shift positions and found that she could not. She was bound again with ropes, not chains. She turned her head as much as she could, Someone had tied her to the back of a sulia, one of the native lizards the humans of Rubakali used as beasts of burden. Her presumed captor rode another sulia somewhat ahead. Her assailant in the alley? Or had he transferred her to another? He was clad in a similar dark robe. The same aroma as before wafted past her nostrils. As if sensing eyes on him, the figure on the lead Sulia turned. His hood was down, and Nidra blinked. An Orion, though that is not what the natives of Rubakali called themselves. Golden eyes regarded her down a long canine muzzle. Triangular ears twitched, sensitive to the least sound. Short, tawny fur covered face, muzzle, and arms, just a shade darker than the endless sand across which they rode. On our way back home for dinner? This earned Nidra a barking laugh. The humans on Rubakali claimed that the Aryans were cannibals, even though Nidra suspected that this was simply an excuse to hunt down the natives whenever they proved unruly. You're much too stringy. Even a pup wouldn't get much of a meal out of you. Other rumors claimed that those Orians who hadn't fled to the deep desert had all turned mercenary, willing to sell their broad, curved swords to the highest bidder. 
Whatever he's paying you, I'll double it. One of the Orion's ears quirked. He took in Nidra's condition with a pointed look. Of course, I wasn't carrying my money on me when I was captured. It's on my shuttle. The Orion clucked his tongue and shook his head. Even if that were true, the scavengers would have gutted your shuttle long ago. Can't buy your freedom with empty promises. Nidra let that information sink in for a moment. If she couldn't buy her freedom, maybe she could get help of a different kind from the Orion. Among the starfolk, they say that a rodent can't take a shit in the deep desert without the packs knowing about it. The Orion gave a non-committal grunt. I'm looking for my sister, human, hair and eyes the same color as mine. She would have arrived on your world not long ago, less than a full cycle of the big sun. The alpha of my pack sent me to find her. The Orion's ears quirked again, and a look that may have been one of sadness passed over his features. Enough talk. You will drink and we must press on to our destination. And where's that? You'll find out soon enough. He said something else in a language that she did not know and dismounted just long enough to press a filled animal skin against her lips. He unstoppered it. Deidre held the first few mouthfuls of lukewarm water in her mouth as long as she could, as if trying to savor every drop of moisture. When she had finished, the Orion stoppered the water skin again and pulled out a long dagger with a serpentine blade. The nearest city is over a day's ride from here. In what direction, you do not know. If you run, you will die. Neither of us will profit. Saying that, he cut the cords around her ankles and helped her sit up on the saddle of the Sulia. He bound her wrist to the horn of the saddle. I see the trust between us only reaches as far as a length of rope. The Orion showed a lot of teeth and gave a quick bob of his head. We have, as your kind might say, an understanding. They rode in silence for a long way. She didn't know if he spoke the truth about how far they were from the nearest city, but she had no reason to doubt him. Even if she did somehow manage to incapacitate the Orion, take his water, and navigate her way across the trackless sands back to what passed for civilization on Rubak Ali, there was no guarantee that she wouldn't be treated as an escaped slave once she got there. The Orion was keeping her alive, for now and something told Nidra that he knew something about her sister. She would see how this part of her adventure played out. It grew warmer and warmer, and the Sulias began to grow antsy. At last, the Orion reigned in his mount. Her Sulia stopped as well. We will camp until little sister has set again. He pitched a round white tent in the sand, using several hooks of a type Nidra had never seen before to anchor it to the leeward side of a dune. Then he watered the Sulias and fed them each several live rodents from a burlap sack. Nidra had to look away as the beasts ate. At last he untied the rope from the saddle and helped her down. Her legs swayed under her, but she refused to cling to the Orion for support. 
He watched her with wry amusement, as if reading her thoughts. Come, spend the heat of the day in the tent. I swear no harm will come to you under its roof. Nidra snorted. I'm not sure how much faith I'm to put in the word of someone who's kidnapped me. A look passed over the Orion's face that she couldn't read. I swear, by the serpent and the spider, I will not harm you. A chill went up Nidra's spine as he swore his oath. She could not say why. Regardless, she entered the tent as he held the flap open for her. The Orion unbound her hands, and when he tied up her ankles, it was with an apologetic look in his eyes. You have sworn no oath to me. When he was sure she was secure, he shared a meal with her. Water and some small fritters with dried meat and fruit inside. Nidra did not realize how hungry she was until she had tasted the first one. Then she wolfed down several, only stopping when she sensed the Orion's eyes on her. The canine muzzle bore a wide grin. What? Are you young, the way your kind counts age? Why? <laughs> because you eat like a pup the night after his first hunt. Nidra snorted again, but smiled in spite of herself. No, she was not starting to like her kidnapper, especially when she might have to kill him to escape. She ate the rest of her portion more slowly. When she had finished, the Orion gave her a long drink off the water skin. He seemed reluctant to tie up her hands, but did so anyway. Sleep if you are able. We ride again when the heat has broken. Nidra settled back on the sand. The air in the tent was hot, but not stiflingly so. The scent of the Orion grew stronger. She listened as his breathing slowed became completely regular. He even snored. As quickly and quietly as she could, she tried to wriggle her way out of the ropes. The knots around her wrist rubbed the skin raw before she made any progress. She looked over at the sleeping canid. Precious stones gleamed on the hilt of his dagger where it lay sheathed in his belt. She took a few slow breaths and then inched her way over to the Orion. Sand rubbed against sand, the sound impossibly loud in Nidra's ears. She reached for the dagger. A paw shot out. The grip on her wrist was not painful, but it was insistent. Sleep, little huntress. No more such games. The Orion hadn't even opened his eyes. Nidra cursed under her breath and moved as far away from him as she could in the confines of the tent, she closed her eyes and thought of Kalana. Outside the tent, the wind howled. Nidra's thoughts drifted from her quest to images of what Rubak Ali would have been like before the human colonists came. Perhaps the Orions gathered when two of the three suns had set and howled to the sky, howling out prayers to strange dog-faced gods. Or what was that oath he had sworn? to the serpent and the spider. The wind shook the walls of the tent. The Orion sat up in an instant, immediately awake. What's wrong? He held out a silencing paw and scented the air. 
He cursed and spat on the ground. He rides the wind. I did not expect this. Only one chance. We must reach the fortress before the storm. Nidra blinked as the canid slit her bonds. She tried to rub feeling back into her wrists. Leave the tent. Take the water and nothing else. Outside, the wind threw sand in their faces. Nidra adjusted the hood of her robe and secured the water skins to her saddle. The Sulia let out a mournful cry as she mounted it. The beast didn't want to be out in this wind any more than she did. The Orion climbed into his saddle and howled a challenge to the storm. They kicked their heels into the Salia's sides and rode forward. Sand swirled around them, bringing the first darkness Nidra had ever seen on Rubakali. The wind lashed at her through the folds of her clothing and threatened to pull her from her mount. Her Sulia cried out in distress, though the chaos around them swallowed up the sound. Something crashed behind them. Nidra turned in her saddle to see a black mass billowing towards them. If she looked hard enough, it seemed there were titanic figures there in the darkness, chasing them with the storm. Lightning sparked again above them, though she knew it was no rain cloud behind them. Faster, faster, we must reach the tower. Nidra could hardly hear him over the storm, though she knew the Orion shouted. If there were a hell anywhere in the universe, it must be like that endless ride. The wind tugged at her robes, threatening to pull her off her sulia. Sand stung at the slightest bit of exposed skin. Already her knuckles felt rubbed raw. Her mount trembled under her. Blood flecked the foam that streamed from its mouth. She could feel its fear and wondered how much more the beast had in it before it collapsed. A shadow loomed ahead of them. At first, Nidra thought it to be another arm of the storm, and they would be crushed in the middle. The strange lightning thundered again, and the flash showed the form ahead of them to be a tower fashioned from dark stone. If they could get inside before the thunderhead reached them, they might still come out of this alive. On they rode for hours or minutes or days. Nidra could no longer be sure. The tower never seemed closer. The world grew darker and darker around them. The howling wind seemed to shout cries of triumph. The electricity in the storm set Nidra ever more on edge. She looked up. The Orion was gone. Before she could say anything, a pit opened in front of her mount, and they galloped down a stone ramp and out of the storm. The quiet after the incessant winds at first made Nidra think she had lost her hearing, but the sound of her Sulia's footfalls reached her ears. The Orion waited for her at the end of the ramp. He panted, but wore a toothy grin. Welcome to the domain of Lord Ankabuti. Two more Orions came upon them. Her canid barked a few orders and gave them the reins of their mounts. Her captor led her deeper into a system of tunnels. Coolness seeped from the heavy stone and soothed her abraded and wind-chaffed skin. He will want to see you as soon as possible, but I think you have time to bathe. He led her to a chamber with a large, clean pool and bade her hurry. The click as he locked the door after him served as a reminder that she was still his prisoner. 
She washed the sand from her body and hair, though she did take the time to let the cool waters soothe her skin. She unstoppered one of the bottles on the edge of the pool. The oil within smelled of aloe and jasmine. She dried herself and rubbed the fragrant oil into her skin. Next to the oil was a pile of garments. She slipped into a long robe of white silk and knocked on the door. Serpent and spider, the Orion said as he opened the door for her, the words hardly more than a whisper. What does that mean? Soulful brown eyes studied her. You'll find out soon enough. He hesitated and then pressed his curved dagger into her hands. She nodded and secreted the weapon within the folds of her robe. The Orion led her up and up, and Nidra realized that they were climbing the fortress tower. The higher they rose, the more she could hear the storm outside. Though muffled by the stone walls, it did not seem that any of its anger had abated. At last, they came to a solid wood door. The Orion rapped on it with its iron knocker. Enter. A flash blinded Nidra for a moment, and the world shook. She looked up as the stars cleared from her vision. They were at the top of the tower, the crown of which had been domed over with transparent plasteel reinforced with iron. Electricity crackled outside. It's the fulgentium. The mineral particles within the storm induce a charge in the sand beneath them. The discharge can create a lightning strike a hundred times stronger than any storm on old earth. It took Nidra a moment to locate the speaker. A wizened man, gray to the point he almost matched the color of the stone, stood against one of the walls. He drew closer to Nidra, the tip of his walking stick tapping against the floor. That would be all, Gelb. Gelb. All this time, Nidra had not known the Orion's name. I have nothing to fear from our guest. Guest? Guest? A hairy eyebrow rose. Sometimes Gelb is overzealous in his interpretation of my wishes. I humbly apologize if my servant has inconvenienced you in any way. Nidra looked over at Gelb. His face was impossible to read. No, he was a perfect gentleman in every way. Good. The old man made a dismissive gesture, and the Orion bowed and left Nidra with him. She realized that the old man was studying her, a calculating look in dark eyes. The sand lightning flashed again. It's the storms that make Rubal Kali so dangerous for vessels near our planetary space, or rather the fulgentium inside. He waved a hand at the dome above them. I've made the study of the phenomenon a hobby in my retirement. The electromagnetic effects even reach out into the surrounding space. Perhaps it was one of the storms that brought down my shuttle then. Hmm, yes, you are such a long way from home. It was one of the reasons why I sent Gelb to collect you, Nidra. The colonists here are enthusiastic, but not what you or I would call civilized. Nidra tried to show no surprise that the old man knew her name. He was playing some kind of game with her, 
and until she knew what the rules were, she would reveal as little of herself as she could. I certainly will not be recommending Rubakali to the Interstellar Travelers Bureau. She had not expected the man's laugh to be so musical. <laughs> oh, my dear, if only I were several decades younger. Walk with me. He smiled when she hesitated. Please, humor an old man. Nidra nodded and even let Lord Ankabuti take her arm. He led her to a spiral staircase, and they descended to the floor below the observation dome. She frowned, not sure what she was seeing. Though not as tall as the room above, the ceiling was still several meters from the floor, and every spare space of wall was covered with works of art, tapestries and paintings, sculptures and stop-motion holograms, more styles and media than Nidra could count. Before her was a framed woodblock of a beautiful Nipponese woman in a white kimono. She bore a sword, and burns covered half of her face. Next to the print was a marble statue of a Roman general astride a horse, his noble features twisted in an evil grin. Above the collection hung two banners, one bearing the sigil of a rampant dragon, the other a large dark spider. Nidra thought of Gelb's oath. Magnificent, isn't it? The old man's voice was too close to Nidra's ear. His breath was too damp and made her think of things decaying under humid soil. She stepped away, as if admiring the artwork, Something about these pieces sent a chill straight through her heart, as if she should know them all, as if she had seen them somewhere before. It certainly is an eclectic collection. Look closer. Nidra stepped away from Lord Ankabuti to do as he asked. As she walked among the pieces, the conviction grew that in spite of the diverse visual languages represented, in spite of the fact that every race and skin tone known to humanity was depicted, the art showing the male form were all of the same man. Something about the cruel lines of the mouth, an overbearing look to the eyes. Even more so, the women all seemed to be representations of the same woman eyes that still hoped, in spite of deep inner pain, reservoirs of hidden strength, a sword sheathed in silk. But there was something even more about the women's faces, something familiar. Nidra could not bring herself to articulate the half-formed thought. The Orions believe that at the heart of the universe, two forces struggle for control. She welcomed the old man's words, delaying a conclusion she did not want to face. One force desires order, no matter what the cost to himself or others. The other desires freedom, freedom and honor above even her own life, the serpent and the spider. Nidra froze as she came upon the most recent additions to the collection. Both were paintings in a primitive but powerful style. 
one-shot Ankabuti as he must have been as a young man, strong, of iron will, letting nothing stand in his way. They believe that in each generation, two avatars of these forces are born. Wherever they are in existence, these avatars come into conflict, battling over which essence dominates that age. The other painting looked as if the paint were still wet. In spite of the simple style, Nidra recognized the subject instantly. The features of the young woman were painfully familiar. She knew the face in the painting as well as she knew her own. The painting was of Kalana, her sister. We baited our traps so carefully this time. A mystery so intricate, layers of social injustice that you could never resist. Yet you had one last surprise for us. The lighting in the room grew dim. Where was Lord Ankabuti? In all those countless generations, it never occurred to us. The old man's voice was a soft hiss. She could not tell where it was coming from. We never thought that you might be born as twins. He launched himself at her, only his too fast scuttling motion giving away his position. Nidra pivoted at the last possible moment. Lord Ankabuti crashed into his collection, knocking over a bronze and an earthenware bowl. Where is Kalana? Don't worry. She's no longer in any pain. And she told us such delicious things before she died. Nidra's pulse pounded in her head. Kalana couldn't be dead. She had promised to always look after her sister. She couldn't be dead. You're lying. Oh, if only that were the case. The ritual will never work now without the both of you. The serpent was so cunning this time. The intelligence went to Kalana, which means the skill must have gone to you. Ankabudi rushed her again, faster than an old man should be able to move, faster than any human should be able to move. Nidra barely had time to draw out Gelb's dagger. The old man cried out and drew back. Blood flowed around the arm he had pressed against the slash in his abdomen. That wasn't at all nice. This form had already neared its end. He looked up at her, an insane grin on his face. I'll just have to make sure you go first. He launched himself at her. Nidra struck with the dagger again and again. The sinuous blade slashed skin, bit into muscle, shook as it hit bone. Still, the old man came on, grappling her, pinning her arms to her sides. He grinned again, his teeth impossibly sharp. If he could, he would sink those teeth into her neck, bite out her jugular. She snapped her forehead into his nose, shattering it. The old man released her, sputtering curses and spitting blood. This is all just a game to you, isn't it? You hide here in your tower and spin your webs of power and lies. And it doesn't make a bit of difference to you that people die playing your games. She thrust the blade into Ankabuti's heart. He slid to the floor, taking the dagger with him, his hands on the hilt. I'm not going to play anymore. She left the man to die. 
she found her sister's body in the chamber below the art gallery. Laid out on a low bier, Kalana was clothed in a simple white robe. She looked as if she were sleeping, save for the wounds on her body. Nidra knelt by the bier and let her tears flow freely. Something crashed in the chamber above her. Of course, Ankabuti wasn't dead. Let him come. She wasn't leaving her sister again. There you go. Wow, Jacob, man, Jacob. I might have butchered your name, but you certainly didn't butcher that story, sir. Thank you so much. Wow, man, thank you indeed. And Diana, bloody hell, man, what a gift. Man, <laughs> oh, hey, honestly, was, man, I say this, hairs on the back of my neck, man, what a voice. Thank you, Perius, thank you so much. Back to what you're doing and get some more stuff over here. That was fantastic, honestly. Thank you so much indeed. So that is the Starship Sova. What we come into there. 39 minutes now we've been running there. So I hope you've enjoyed this show. It has been fantastic, honestly. Thank you so much to everyone. Jeremy and Gary, who's put it together at the back end. Uh, my talents, talents are just, you know what I mean? Just a little, front, a little bit of the front end nonsense. And Jacob... And Deanna, thank you so much. It has been an honour. Until next week, don't forget Patreon, mind you. Just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I need only the will to fly 
I'm still building word by word And I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there by and by 